Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. That is incredible. That is the level of cute chaos that we expect from uh, Kids Christmas. Amen? Amen. I I enjoy that. I, I love it because my children are such dramatic polar opposites. When it comes to performance, I have one who has ruthlessly and very intentionally rehearsed all of her lines, has been counting down the days until she's up here. Then I have another one who uh, does a little silent protest every time. And uh, I just, I love both versions, if I want to be totally honest. Like, they work together. It's like this perfect storm of, like, you know, you got to get the message across, but also, you know, you got to bring in a little attitude in. You know, you got to get a little punk rock spirit in there. So Henry captures that. Uh, but excited to share with you today, just briefly this morning. Uh, I, I know that many of you, you are here to see the kids. That's why you came. Maybe uh, you were invited or you're joining us online uh, because you are a parent or a grandparent or an aunt, a friend, an uncle, a cousin, whatever you might be. Uh, but you're here to really celebrate these kids. And the reason that you're here is not the level of performance, right? Though we are so thankful for our kids' ministry wrangling that many cats in one little herd, right? <laughs> That is basically what it is, but we're so grateful. Uh, Grandparents, none of you are here for the level of performance, right? None of you would be like, well, I love my grandchild more now that they've sung than I did, or I love them a little less because they didn't sing as much, right? Hopefully, my goodness, hopefully none of you think that. Uh, You're like, our friendship really hangs depending on whether little Timmy says his lines or not, right? No, none of us are thinking that. None of your love is based on their performance, uh, today, if they ran around screaming, you'd still laugh and you'd still love them, right? Why do, why do we love them, these, these, <laughs> these kids? We love them because they're ours, right? They're our children. We love our kids, hopefully, when, when, they, when they hug us. We love them even when they scream at us, even when we're like, I love you, right? We transition from like, I love you to like, <laughs> I love you, right? Two different things. <laughs> but we love our kids. We're here because we love them. We love our kids when they're fun, right? We love our kids when they're exhausting, right? Parents, grandparents, friends and family, we love our kids when they are the sweetest, and we love them when they're mean, that full Sour Patch Kids spectrum, when they're sweet and when they're sour, right? We love them when they reject us. We love them even when they get angry at us. We love them. And that's why you're here, right? You're not here because you have to be here. You're here because of love. But I think when we say the word love, I think culturally we have gone wild with the word love. Love is just this junk drawer that we throw every feeling into these days. And I, and I just want to say, and I, I want you to hear me out, that all love is not the same. You're like, no, 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 love is love. Well, let me explain. I'm going to sing a little lyric for you, and then you complete it if you can. Are you ready? Here we go. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, all love is not the same. <laughs> right there, case closed. Because though I love myself, I mean, I'm, I'm about eating good food and food that's good for you, uh, but uh, I love myself a McDonald's breakfast sandwich. I got to say, that like $2 sausage, egg, and cheese thing at like 4.30 in the morning when you're trying to get your family to the airport, you know what I'm talking about. That thing is straight from the Lord. Uh, <laughs> the rest of it, pit of hell. But that right there... <laughs> straight from God. (laughs) 
Uh, though I do love that, I would say there is a dramatic separation between how much I love that sausage, egg, and cheese breakfast sandwich to how much I love my children. Right? Like, if... If my, the love of my children was the center, it was the, it was the logo, it was the, the, the center of Cardinal Stadium, whatever it's called now, State Farm, then my love, the but, uh, but, 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 I'm loving it love would be like not even the cheap seats, not even in that excessively long parking lot. It wouldn't even be in the state. It wouldn't even be in the nation. It'd be around the world, maybe to the moon. I don't know. That sandwich is pretty good, but it's pretty far, I would say. The separation between the love, the kind of love that I have for my children and the kind of love that I have for a breakfast sandwich, though they both have used the same word, and I've said both words. I love this sandwich, and I love my kids. I'm just being real, guys. But they're profoundly, profoundly different. You know, unfortunately, in, in, in English, we lump all these words together. I love this. I love that. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I love it. But when we celebrate the fourth week of Advent, when we light the candle, when we recognize the fourth week, the week of love and love coming to the earth, we are not recognizing a Mickey D's love. There's a different, a greater, a life-changing, an eternity-shifting kind of love. The Greeks had uh, many words for love, four primary words for love. They had a word, storge, which is for family like a familial love. There's eros, which is a romantic love. There's philia, which is a friendship love. And then there is the one that we're going to look at today that comes from the scripture that was read earlier, which is the agape love. Agape love is a pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's good. Parents, you know this love. Because to be a parent at any degree is to sacrifice. My wife likes to joke that I didn't realize, we, we joke, I, we didn't realize how selfish we were till we had children. Children are really good at reminding you, you can't do whatever you want. They do it in a myriad of ways. <laughs> but to be a parent is to sacrifice. There's a certain kind of love as a parent that goes beyond the Mickey D's love. It's the kind of love that lays down your life. It's the kind of love that sacrifices. It's the kind of love that stays up at night. It's the kind of love that hurts and bleeds even when they don't understand it, even when they reject it. There's a powerful love that goes beyond. And like today, it's the love of a parent, a father for his children. See, the love that we celebrate on Christmas is just as we've gathered because of love of our children, that there is a father who has loved his children so much, a love that goes beyond everything understood or anticipated. It is a deep, sacrificial love, and it is unique. Because it's not because of our performance, just like today. None of you love these kids more because of how they performed. This Father, our Heavenly Father, does not love you more based off your performance or love you less based off your performance. There is a love that He has for you that goes beyond performance. It's because of who He is and because of who you are. I thought today we could just look together at this incredibly famous verse, uh, John 3, 16. If you have your Bible, do me a favor and just open up to John 3, chapter 3, 
verse 16. I want to read it. Many of you might have seen this, uh, this scripture written out, or maybe you've heard it before, but I want to encourage you, and we're going to pray in a second, to just hear it with fresh eyes and an open heart. Hear it with fresh eyes. Let those biases, let, those, let the pastors kind of melt away for a second and hear it as it is, as it is presented by Jesus Christ. I want to pray together. Lord God, we thank you today that your word is alive and active. I thank you, God, for what has been displayed through these children in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I pray that it would continue even now as you read your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, let's read together. John three sixteen. it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, if you grew up like me watching football games and you have seen someone hold up this sign, I don't know what they hold up now. I don't think it's this. Uh, but when I grew up, people would hold up these John 3, 16 signs in the end zone constantly. You'd see it. There was like, you know, then you had like WWE, you know, you had Steve Austin 316, right? Yeah, it was, anyways, doesn't matter. Stone Cold. Uh, but it was a verse that was kind of ever was on bumper stickers. And what happens is as we begin to see something consistently, it becomes part of noise, right? And it, we begin to gloss over it. So if you ever, like, did a Devo plan, believers, if you believe in Jesus, you did a Devo plan, you might have got to John 3, 16 and just read through that part really fast. You're like, I've known this. But I want to encourage you today that this is a powerful statement that sits at the heart of one of the most crucial conversations in John's gospel here. As John is writing about Jesus, he sets this in place in a powerful moment. This statement is at the center of a conversation that Jesus is having with a man who is seeking answers for his life. It's really interesting. This man that Jesus is talking to he is looking for the truth. He has noticed that he is missing something. He has recognized that there is something about Jesus. He's not made the jump, the connection. He is unsure, but he has begun to seek out the truth. Let's read it together. Can we do that? Okay, if you have your Bible, just jump back to verse 1 of chapter 3, and we're going to look at it here together. If not, the words will be on the screen, and you can read along with us. It says, John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. Somebody say night. Oh, come on. I, I know. I know. I'm not as cute as the kids. I know. I know that. I wore my cutest shirt, still not even close. But we can work together, right? Okay. Somebody say night. Night. There we go. So they came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So let me give you a little context here. Here comes a Pharisee, a religious leader of the Jewish people who are concerned with keeping the Jewish law, who are generally looking for the Messiah and the Messianic figure that would come and save them, that would come redeem them, and would come restore them. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and this is twofold. One, it gives a sense of time when he's coming, but it also is setting the stage as John, as he's writing it, is trying to relay an understanding of the state at which Nicodemus comes to the Lord. Meaning this, when John uses the term night in Scripture, it has one of two meanings. It can mean a metaphor for moral and spiritual darkness, 
or it can be a direct representation of nighttime hours. But when it represents nighttime hours in the book of John, it still bears each time the same moral and spiritual symbolism. Let me, let me explain. Let me give you a verse as an example. John eleven ten. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because light is not in him. And this is an important note because what John is trying to show us here is it squeaks? John is trying to show us here is that Nicodemus is searching for truth. But he is in a physical darkness, but also crucially a spiritual darkness. But he is searching for the truth. This is important. Remember this for a little bit later because I'll explain why it matters here. But he recognizes that there's something about Jesus. He says, I've seen some signs. We have seen some signs that you've done. And I can't explain them away. So I think that God is with you. But he hasn't made the jump to believe what Jesus has said about himself, that he is the Christ, that he is God. He, he can't allow himself yet to make that jump. But I love this, is that he's coming to Jesus for answers, or he's coming to at least ask the questions that he needs to ask. I just want to applaud you if you ask the questions that you need to ask. Because Jesus never rejects a seeking heart. I think when it comes to faith, often we say we have settled on an understanding of faith, whether it be I believe in God or I don't believe in God. And yet many of us who have not made the choice to follow Christ haven't even allowed ourselves to ask the questions. And so I just want to encourage you, there's really nothing to be afraid of to ask the questions. Because if you are right in your disbelief, you'll just continue to be right. And if you're wrong, you'll find the salvation of your life. But I encourage you because we have the blessing to live in a country still where we can ask these questions. Ask the questions. Find the answers. Knock on the door. It's important. And I want to encourage you, if you are seeking Jesus or if you are seeking answers that Jesus receives your questions. And if you've ever, ever gone to a church that doesn't, can I just say, we receive it. We receive it. Because I believe in the strength of the gospel. Let's continue. John 3, 3. We're going to keep going. Everyone still with me? Amen. John, uh, Jesus answered Nicodemus. So Nicodemus says to him, uh, Rabbi, uh, kind of, who are you? What are you doing? And Jesus answers him, and I love this, that Jesus answers a question that he doesn't even ask, but the fact that they immediately go in the conversation means that Jesus knew it was the question he needed to ask, right? Because he says, uh, uh, we've heard that you, God is with you. You're doing some signs. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, hard right, right? <laughs> right? Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Okay, this is Nicodemus being obviously uh, kind of ridiculous, right? When you respond to a question with something you know is intrinsically false, you're just kind of saying like, are you serious? What's going on, right? Nicodemus knows he's not going back inside. He's old enough to know this, or he should, right? I mean, it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's not Zacchaeus, wee little man. I mean, Nick, full-size grown adult. He knows it's not happening, right? <laughs> he knows. Uh, but he's asking this question like, come on, man. Like, what are you saying, right? He's, he's asking. He's seeking. And Jesus answers him. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Pause here for a second, because I want to explain. I don't have a ton of time, so I'll explain it very shortly. Nicodemus is like, wait a second, I have to be born again? Because Nicodemus is thinking in the physical terms. He's thinking in physical miracles. He's thinking in physical power. And Jesus is talking in spiritual terms. Just because you cannot see it, Nicodemus, does not make it impossible. Does not take away its reality. You cannot see the wind, but you can only see the effects of it. But it would be bold to say there is no such thing as wind because I've never seen it. It would be incredibly prideful. Like, I've never seen wind, so it's not real. I mean, I've seen the effects of it, but wind, I don't know, conspiracy, right? <laughs> Jesus says, listen, this new birth is not of flesh, like, like physical. It's of your soul. He says, Nicodemus, it's not the, the body that I'm concerned about. It is your soul. It is eternal life, not for your body, but for your soul that I am concerned about. And so in John 3, verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? How, how can I be born of the Spirit? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony, him and the disciples. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descends from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I love this dialogue. Nicodemus is like, wait, I don't understand. He's like, I literally just explained it to you using the same words that your prophets, that it is literally your job to study, have told you. And Nicodemus is like, still don't get it, man. He's like, okay. <laughs> Love you. Um, right? <laughs> but Jesus says to him, and very rightly, he makes this Old Testament connection. He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man be lifted up. And some of you are like, uh-oh, it's one of those churches where they dance with snakes. Nope, nope, no. Actually, bring in the snakes. No, I'm just joking. I was like, coming down the aisle, right? <laughs> no, please no. I hate snakes. <laughs> it says, as the serpent. So in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, they were in the desert, and they turned from God. So God made a covenant relationship with his people. He said, I want to have a relationship with you. And though you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, I want to bring about a Messiah who's going to redeem you. I want to make a covenant with you. I want to give you the law. I'm going to direct you and guide you. And the people said, thank you. We're actually going to do our own thing. And so instead of following the law, what they do, they turned and they rebelled against God. And so the response of their sin, there are wages of sin. There is justice because why would you want to serve a God who is not perfectly just? Who has defaulted and distorted justice? Don't we have enough of that on earth? And so he gives them, or judgment comes against them, but God is also merciful. And so God gives Moses this sign, this bronze serpent, so they take one of the snakes that's been coming through and biting everybody, they take it, they bronze it, and they put it up. And, if, and it says in Numbers 29, Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Jesus is making a connection here. We don't have time to go through all Old Testament history. Jesus is making a connection. He's saying, when you rebelled and the consequences of your sin was death, I had mercy, and so you lifted up your eyes to a symbol of my mercy. Jesus says, no more symbolism. I will be what brings grace for you. 
I will be lifted up. I will cover your sins. I will take them away. I will be lifted up on the cross to take away the sins of the world so that whoever believes in me will have eternal life. And this sets up the moment where he looks at Nicodemus and he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is the moment. He says, I got to be lifted up. And he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That is the most powerful and succinct explanations of the mission of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. In fact, the Greek construction of this phrase is meant to emphasize the intensity of God's love. He gave his one and only son. He gave everything. Your one and only son got your full inheritance in their age. And God is pointing to, and John is pointing to, and Jesus is pointing to in this moment, that God did not give anything but everything that we might have eternal life. And I love that. It says, for God so loved. Jesus begins by stressing that all of this is a consequence of God's love. It's not an accident. Hear me. It's not a mistake. It's not forced. It is because of love. And not but a but 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 love. I'm talking agape love. I'm talking pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's good. But it doesn't stop there. He said, for God so loved. Who did he love? He loved the world. He didn't love people that were obsessed with him, who earned their right to him, who proved their love to him. It says, God so loved the world. The world, he's not talking about like the earth, like God so loved plants. I mean, God loves his creation, and we should steward it well. But he's saying, God so loved the world. In John, the world is a descriptive term to explain mankind as a fallen and rebellious people. Now, I know. I was a philosophy student. I know, postmodern world, Western world. We love this absolute baloney idea that people are inherently good, right? We love it because, I don't know, you don't turn on the news or something. I don't know. Just look up for four seconds, and you will see that people can do good, but people are not inherently good because people are not perfect. And by the nature of not being perfect— means at some point we have to make mistakes, we have to sin against others, we have to wrong others. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect in my relationship. So how could I be inherently something? But we live with a false understanding. But John is saying the world is, is the broken sense of sinful people. Elsewhere, John says to Christians, he says, don't love the world. You're like, wait a second, God loved the world, but we don't love the world? He says, do not love the world or the things in it. Don't be of the world. Well, it's unique, because I think often when we think love, and we think the world, and we try to understand that relationship of God and the world, it can be confusing. But it's important to remember that God loves the world, not with um, selfish love of participation, but God loves the world with the selfless, costly love of redemption. Those are two very different things. Are you with me? See, all throughout Scripture, we see a perfect God who has perfect justice and completely and totally condemns sin, the thing that separates us from Him. And yet, we also see all throughout Scripture that He loves the world so much that He gives the only possible source for the hope of the world, His Son, Jesus Christ. Look at this, look at this dual thing that happens, right? Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. But the immediate next half after the comma 
says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, that's the amazing God that we serve. That the result of God's great love is the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, for us. Scripture says true love has no greater than this, that a man lay down his life for another. It also says that while we were still enemies with God, while we were still enemies with Christ, he died for us. That's a loving God. See, the purpose of Jesus Christ is to bring salvation of those in the world who would believe in him. Whoever believes in him experiences new birth, has eternal life, and is saved. That's why immediately after in John 3, 17, it says this. Look in your Bibles with me if you have them. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I feel like I need to explain this because it's really encouraging, but on the surface, it doesn't sound as encouraging. Let me explain. Often we have a broken understanding of God and his love. What we often see is that salvation is a choice. Uh, if you're like me, before you encounter the love of Christ, you might have seen salvation uh, in Christ, or people are like, follow Jesus, or, you know, be a, be a Christian, or whatever, as a choice, or not a choice, or a bad choice. Basically, like, the choice sometimes is presented like this. Choose to love Jesus, or God's going to send you to hell. That's the choice presented often. Some of you are nodding in your heart because <laughs> you've heard the same presentations I have grown up, right? It assumes something, though. Oh, the choice is, well, if I, what you're saying, Pastor, is if I don't choose to follow your God, he's going to send me to hell. That's not what I'm saying because that assumes that the world's neutral. See, Jesus didn't come to a neutral world to save some and condemn others. He said he didn't come to condemn. Jesus came into a lost, broken, and condemned world in order to save some. Hear me today. Jesus is the only reason you have a choice. There is no choice in sin and shame, but through God who loves you and through his sacrifice, there is a choice. Let me explain. I know some of you coming in, you, you might not know the, the God that I know. So I just, can I take two seconds to just tell you? Oh, man. Can I take three seconds and tell you? Is that okay? Okay, good, good. I know. I'm going to have to start dancing like Everest up here. Get everybody moving. <laughs> everybody waking up. <laughs> I think about it like this. I'm a very visual person. So I think of this visual of my life often. I think of myself before I knew Christ as kind of being on this sinking ship. That I was a sinner. I was lost in my sin. And I was lost at sea. Have you ever been lost at sea or watched anything about lost at sea? It's decently hopeless enterprise because it is so vast. But no one forced me to be. When I really think about my life, I was God of myself. It was because of my pride. It was because of my rebellion. I looked at God, and over my life, I said, I'm the captain now. And I took my boat, my life, out into the sea of my choices and my sin. And I knew that there was something missing in my life because I began to see my life take on water. I just didn't know where the hole in my life was that was causing this. Those of you who have experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. Where li life is sinking, it's not bad. It's just not healthy. 
there's something missing. Some days it's slow, some days it's fast. And as I was on that sinking ship of my sin and of my shame, of my own direction and my own accord, with no hope on the horizon, one day, on my one day, I saw a life raft coming towards me. And that was Jesus Christ. And Jesus came and he invited me to come into his raft. But as I did, you know, I brought all my stuff with me because, you know, I'm the captain. I got to bring the ship, right? And as I went to step in, he said, no, 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 you can't bring that with you. Because that's all the stuff that's sinking you. That, those are the anchors that are dragging you down. They're, they're locking you into the bottom, and they're dragging you to death. And you can't bring it on here because this is a life raft. This is meant to bring you life. This is meant to bring you to the shores of mercy and glory. This is meant to take you out of the things you're using to medicate your insecurities and your frustrations and that hole in your heart that if you really got honest or maybe you really got drunk enough, you finally admit that it's there. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And if you really admitted that there was something missing, you would notice that these anchors are pulling you down. He said, you could come with me, but that cannot come with me. I get it, you're broken. I'll take you all broken up and beat up and worn down, but I will not take those things of the old way. I will not take what's weighing you down, but I want you to come with me because I want to take you to the shores of glory. I want to show you freedom. I want to show you a new life. Now, I can reject that raft in that moment. I can reject that lifeboat. I can slap it away. I can say, I don't know if I don't really see myself sinking. I can wait. Or how dare you? How could you say to me, don't do this, don't bring this, don't take this? Those are my things. They're my identity. I can hold to the anchors of my sinking ship. I could hold it to my sin, to my shame, to my selfishness. I can Make the choice. But here's the thing about choice. And I know we live in a generation that is very confused about how choices work, so let me explain how they work to you. I can make the choice, but I cannot choose the consequences. Right now, we live in a nation that wants to make bad choices and pick good consequences. Here's the reality. If you make the choice, you live with the consequences. That's how it works. If you stay on the ship, you go down with the ship. If you step into life, you go to life. And can I tell you, as someone who has made that choice, that's not always the easiest choice because you are really familiar with those anchors. And it feels like home. And it feels right sometimes. But as it begins to sink, you know that it's wrong. And one day, I chose, many of you chose, to step out of the sinking ship, to leave behind my pride, to repent of my sin and unrighteousness, and receive new life in Jesus Christ. And what I love is that Jesus doesn't go like, okay, now we're both adrift together. Jesus takes us to the shores of his mercy, where freedom abounds, where the cool waters of grace bring life, where every sin, where every shame is washed away, and Scripture says the old is gone and the new has come. But there's a choice. Do I step into the light, into life, or do I stay in darkness and in death? I want you to picture this moment for a second in Scripture. As Jesus speaks truth to Nicodemus, remembering he came in the dark, but Jesus wants him to leave in the light. Today, some of you came seeking or not seeking, but you came in in spiritual darkness. And I just encourage you, I know the light might be shining brightly right now, but can I encourage you, be strong enough to feel whatever God is revealing in your heart. Nicodemus sought 
truth, but he was struggling to allow himself to accept it. So Jesus looks at him and he says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does the wicked hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Jesus says, listen, I'm the light. I've come to bring you life. But many will choose to stay in darkness because a profound symptom of fear is pride. An attempt to control and the authority of oneself. Many will reject the light. They're too ashamed. They are afraid. They would rather hide in darkness. But he says, there are those who will say, I don't want to be afraid, ashamed anymore. I want to step into the light, and I want to receive eternal life. See, some of you today, like I said, I applaud you for coming here today, no matter if you're seeking, not seeking, wanting, not wanting. But some of you today are seeking, regardless of if you are or not, though, you still have a choice. The choice is not, will Jesus come and condemn you or save you? Jesus has already come to save you. The question is, will you receive the free gift of salvation? Will you receive the hope and healing that comes from him? Will you leave behind the sin and the shame? And will you step into a relationship with a God who loves you more than you could ever comprehend? You can stay on the sinking ship and reject it. You can live for yourself but be dead in sin, or you can die to yourself and be made alive in Christ Jesus. God so loved you, he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life. And I want to encourage you today, if you choose to believe in him, Scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it says if you call the name of Jesus for those who would believe that he is Lord and confess with your mouth that he is risen, that you will be saved. And people ask like, why we preach a gospel message all the time is because I have the confidence in the gospel, and it's this, that the gospel is true. And as somebody who had a God-shaped hole in his heart, when I heard the gospel, I was like, that is it. Because I want what Jesus has to offer. Here's what he has to offer, and I'm going to pray for you. Hope for every future and healing for every past. Hear me today. If you need God to do a miracle in your life, Jesus brings hope for every future and healing for every past. Would you stand with me today? When, while you're standing, would you bow your head and close your eyes? I really value being a straightforward person. So here's my straightforward moment with your eyes closed and your head bowed. If you would say today and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and say, I need hope and healing. I don't know every answer, but I do know that today I need a Savior, Jesus Christ, to take away my sin and shame and to step into new life. Scripture says if you make that choice today, that the old is gone. If anyone is in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. So if you're here today and you're ready to say, I'm going to make that choice to follow Jesus, or you're here today and man, you have said those words, but you have not lived with that heart. And in this moment, you're saying, Jesus, I'm choosing again to follow you. If that's you, 
Jesus, I choose to follow you. I need you as my Lord and Savior. Do a miracle in my life with every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you today, I don't know what happens when you leave, when you walk out the doors, but this is the moment you have a choice to receive the greatest love ever given through Jesus Christ. If that's you today, I'm just going to invite you in this moment. If you're going to say, I'm going to receive that, would you just lift your hand and put it back down? Say, yes, Jesus, I choose to follow you today. Let's pray together. I want to invite you, all believers, if you would with me. Though you've prayed this prayer, could we just repeat together in celebration of those who have made that choice? Let's pray together boldly. Dear Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for coming to the earth. Thank you for dying for my sins for taking them upon the cross, for burying them in the grave, and rising again to new life. Today, I receive that life and repent of all my sins. I choose today to follow you with all my heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we celebrate those that made that choice today? Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.